Welcome to The Patient Podcast, a series of conversations with innovators, HR leaders, and benefit advisors about how they're solving benefit challenges and building healthier communities by helping people access and afford healthcare. Hi there, I'm Laura Cave, and I'm joined by my colleague, Chris Lebrecq, Patient's Chief Customer Officer, and together we're thrilled to welcome Jeff Faber of Hub International for a conversation about the strategies and trends that are shaping employee benefits as we look towards 2024 and beyond. Uh, Chris, before we introduce Jeff, I wanted, I wondered if you could just reflect for a minute on this year. You know, it wasn't very long ago that you were in a role really similar to Jeff's, you know, leading an, an agency responsible for setting the strategic direction of your team as they look to design employee benefit programs to meet your clients' strategic business goals. And I'm wondering, like, what are some of the challenges that brokers and consultants are dealing with on behalf of their clients this year? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And don't don't let my choice, Jeff, to step away from that role and come to this company, uh, influence any decisions <laughs> you make in the future at all. Uh, no, I had a lot of fun with it. It was great. And it is super challenging, right? So since 2010, the broker role has continued to expand and evolve. And that just accelerated in 2020 um, beyond just healthcare costs, even though that's the that's sort of the centerpiece and cornerstone of, of what you do as a consultant. But it's almost you've been pulled into the human capital management practice. You've been pulled into a lot of other areas as a result, focused on mm-hmm. cost of care, uh, inflation. Obviously, that's a big deal. Deferred care. How do we get people back into the system in a way that they're accessing it the way they're supposed to? So the benefit plans around them function the way they're supposed to. Turnover. Uh, tightest labor market I've seen in 30 years that continues to become a problem. When you're in the business of population health management, a 30 or 40 percent turnover rate really hurts your ability to improve the health of that population because there's so much turnover. Um, so the, the role has continued to evolve. Um, it got more and more challenging uh, right up until the end of last year since I've, I've stepped away. And I think it's just continuing to, to be more and more challenging with the transparency rules and the regulations that are out there and proposed regulations, some of which are very positive, I think, for the industry. But navigating that is is super challenging. Um, so I I, um, I applaud you, Jeff, for doing what you do. It's a, it is a challenging job and it's constant day in, day out evaluation of what the next thing is that you need to be uh, focused on, I'm sure. Yeah. You know, I, I know Jeff is going to really be able to address a whole bunch, if not all of these topics that you raised. I'm really interested to hear how he and his team are really helping clients navigate these waters because it's been issue after issue after issue the past few years. So uh, before we say hello, I just want to tell everyone a bit about Jeff's background. Jeff currently serves as employee benefits chief strategy officer at Hub. He's responsible for growth strategy and execution of cutting edge cost containment, risk reduction, and employment enhancing initiatives. That's a mouthful, but he's really just focused on, you know, dreaming, building, paving new paths, all really focused on higher quality employee experience. He does this by leveraging data into information and information into action to help clients realize their objectives and find new frontiers. Jeff joins us from his home in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Laura. Great to be here. So first to start off, I wonder if you could tell us how you got into benefits. I know not all of us grew up as kids thinking one day I'm going to be a benefits broker. Um, (laughs) Tell us more about your, your role today at Hub as well. 
I don't think I've met one person who is who has decided at birth that they want to be in insurance. I, like everyone else, fell into insurance. Uh, started in school as an actuary, thinking I liked math, but I didn't like teaching math. Um, and I quickly realized uh, when I was doing pension consulting that all I did in pensions was shut them down, freeze them, and terminate them. Mm-hmm. So no fun. Um, so moved over to the health and welfare side where I could impact things um, a month away instead of 30 years from now and and really get at the nitty-gritty of why people are are uh, live fulfilling work lives um, and how benefits can help serve them uh, throughout every part of their life experience. Um, and so found Hub uh, about eight years ago and joined, uh, joined the Hub organization. And, and uh, when we were uh, but the 15th largest broker in the world, now we're fifth largest privately held, really happy uh, to help helm the strategy uh, from the employee benefits perspective there and help us uh, better serve our customers and our customers' employees. Interesting. So with some of the challenges that I laid out before, Jeff, um, what are you seeing through 2023 and particularly into 2024 and beyond from an industry standpoint? Do you see it getting better or worse? Um, Are there green shoots of encouragement out there or is it just just still pretty much uh, great concern for where this is going? Um, I think it's sector by sector. I, I think at the end of the day, uh, inflation is, is certainly a concern for everybody. Um, lower wage earners, I think, are, are harder hit by increased home heating oil, gas, electricity costs. Most importantly, rent. Uh, rent's gone up at an extraordinary rate and, and eaten into a fair share of their pocketbook. Um, I think we also see you know medical trend continuing to increase as well on the other side for the for the true users and consumers of healthcare, um, and so that double edged sword uh, limits the bags of groceries that people can bring home, uh, and uh, you know certainly stresses the employee out. They're they're less pr- productive, they're more distracted uh, today than they were maybe a year ago, um, just based on where where the base costs and inflation are. Yeah, I think that's fair. What are your thoughts regarding the deferred care? We saw a precipitous drop in care in 2020. Uh, it's beginning and it started to make its way back into the market. But there are those who are saying that there's still a lot of folks who need to get care, can't afford it, and need to start accessing it. Do you share that concern? And, and, and what do you? What would be your advice to the broker community out there on what to do about that? Um, I, it's definitely a concern. I, I think it's um, deferred care is a, uh, a ticking time bomb within the population health uh, of an organization. And the longer that we go without maintaining, the easier it is to go in a state of non-maintenance. So therefore, you're no longer repairing, you're replacing. And uh, you know it's very hard to replace a heart, uh, harder still to replace um, you know, the other parts of the body that make things go. So from a, from a repair standpoint, that lack of um, continued care and maintenance really, really hurts employers, especially those that have lower turnover, um, longer employee longevity and, and loyalty, uh, because those ticking time bombs uh, within the organization, you know, a heart attack doesn't know it's in a PPO versus an HMO. But the one way you can, you can create a healthy population, the only way you can create a healthy population is to have healthier employees. Um, so deferred care and maintenance uh, is is probably one of our biggest concerns. Um, the scariest thing is it's probably the easiest to to correct because it's it's correctable on the financial side, right? Mm-hmm. It, it's not necessarily a behavior other than financial reticence to go. 
Right, right. Well, so I have to ask you the million dollar question, which is what are the strategies that you all are recommending that you see as sort of the path through this environment where, you know, we've got a tight labor market, we've got increasing costs on the medical side, we've got inflation squeezing the employee's wallet. Uh, There's a lot of factors where typically, you know, you could enrich the benefits to solve some of them, or you could lean out the benefits to solve some of them. But here it kind of feels like we're between a rock and a hard place. So, so tell us about some of the strategic themes that, that you're working with clients on this year. Yeah, I I think that we can start, um, it's probably three different perspectives, the employee, the employer, and the vendor space. Um, so from the employee, we have to, we have to get in front of them and, and let them know that we see this as an issue. We can look at claims within a population and there are shadow claims that never actually hit the claims line. Um, in, in a, but we know that exist. Um, that there are either people not going back to the doctor after a heart attack for, for post heart attack care. Or their uh, claims that would be regular preventive exams that existed in 2017, 2018, 2019, and probably don't exist today um, because that's yeah. that deferred care, uh, that, that ticking time bomb we talked about. So we can use the data and um, what we know from entire books of business and large health systems to be able to inform an employer that there is this issue within their employee work, workforce. How do we get there? How do we get that employee to care? Um, it starts with communication. It starts with trust and openness. You need a higher trust organization um, to make sure that you're communicating that this is important for people, um, that it, I'd rather have you here and productive than not here. You know, the most expensive employee that you have is one that isn't in their chair. Um, yeah. and, and so that's, that's key. I, I think from a vendor perspective, a patient is, is one of the easiest ways to allay that concern. Because my initial pushback, if, I, if I'm living paycheck to paycheck, is um, to find ways to offset, right? So if, I need, if, I, if my daughter breaks a bone and I need to pay $700 for an x-ray, certainly I'm going to do that. But what else in my life am I going to sacrifice if I'm living paycheck to paycheck? That's where I think patient steps in and really helps offset and allay those concerns. Um, the last thing I think from, from an employer strategically is that they need to look at the different parts of their population that are most vulnerable to the economic upset of the last year or two. And you can only do that through advanced analytics. You can only do that through pouring through your, uh, your workforce to find different demographics that are susceptible to some of the inflation concerns, the social determinants of health that we talk about so often. Um, when you think about a medical plan, it's truly the 80-20, the Pareto principle, but it's probably 5% of your population is driving 95% of your costs. Um, now it's no longer 80-20. That is something that you can certainly manage, but what you don't see are the people that are either not using care, not affording care, waiving care um, because of those financial constraints and hurdles. I mean, it's fascinating what you're saying that you're able to use the data patterns from the past to show you the claims that don't exist and should exist, first of all. And then I know, you know, as a partner of Hub and been, having been around you guys this year, the focus that you have on employee experience is a real highlight uh, for you guys. I wonder, I mean, 
we certainly try to bring to the table, you know, a great experience with patient and we have a 90 NPS and our reviews are really amazing because it's such a simple product to use. But I think beyond that, knowing that health benefits are pretty complex. I'm curious if you, if you can say just a little bit more about that experience piece of that like employee engagement piece. Yeah, I think um, as as brokers, as consultants for 20 years ago, we, we, we did the industry a disservice by focusing on the plan, the plan, the plan, and the costs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, monitoring the costs doesn't manage the costs. Monitoring population health and population behavior certainly helps drive better, more efficient, and optimized costs. So um, we created a human-centric approach where we're putting the employee at the center of everything we do. We used advanced analytics to help um, dive into the details on data to demonstrate to an employer, to a group, that if we focus on certain parts of our population, we can drive better change, better behaviors. Um, and then that led us into the, the conversation about how to create a quality employee experience. I think it's really easy if you work from the back to the front. And so if you work from what might delight a customer coming out of the doctor's office um, and not having a bill to pay uh, and not having any friction uh, and and that doctor's office getting all the billing absolutely right, that puts a, a smile on that employee's face or their dependent's face, puts a smile on my face because there's no friction, there's no noise. It's the most optimal way to spend money and it rewards the right behavior. God forbid you go to the doctor to do the right things for your health, and then you have to jump through all these insurance hoops for the next three weeks to get a, to get a bill paid. So that's the wrong employee experience. So we figured out what are the right things that we want employees to experience, and what are the components that drive that change for that you know to create the best situation for those experiences. And part of it is policy, finding the right uh, finding the right ways to put in plan design changes, certainly the right way to communicate, and then partnering with the right partners that that best guarantee those optimal experiences. When we work all the way back, it's the original phase, the contracting, the plan selection, the vendor selection. That's the easy part because you've, you've already guaranteed your, your the best optimal outcome at the employee experience side. And the result is precision buying for a CFO, they really love the fact that one size fits all fits none. So rather than spreading peanut butter across my organization in terms of plan design and vendors, we're micro-targeting different populations and we're better buying within those populations. So I think it's a win-win-win for everybody um, with that by focusing on the employee experience first. That really good point. Some of the words I've heard you use that I think are resonating with me is authenticity, trust, communication. Because if you are solving the employee end user patients issues, you're solving HR and the employer's issues at the same time by extension. Let's unpack the communication thing a little bit. You talk about uh, vulnerable populations, socioeconomically challenged, those in disease management states. How, what advice are you giving to your clients of how they pivot those communications to build trust, authenticity, and get and sustained engagement inside those populations, which tend to drive the 5% of 90% of spend as we all know, right? So what's what's the pivot on those communications? How are you speaking human to them so they understand benefits at a level that they hadn't in the past? Yeah, I think I think it's, it's a great question, Chris. I think you have to start with um, recognizing your internal culture at your employer. Um, you know, if, if, if it's the 1920s and we're making hats, 
we're in a good business. But if it's the 1970s and we're making hats, we're probably going out of business. Same thing with other industries that are, are growing or, or shrinking, depending on where they're at. Um, employers sense employees sense that at their employer of the future prospects at that employer. So, is it a job or is it an invested career uh, for many of them? They they have those considerations. Um, the other side of it is trust, right? Trust, I think, within an employer um, is the assumption that the employees are following the guidance that you're providing. And that all starts with empathy and compassion. If you don't have a C-suite, a, a decision maker that is empathetic and is compassionate about um, each element of their, their product uh, set, including their workforce, uh, you're never going to get anywhere. So when we start with compassion and empathy and we we walk a mile in everybody's shoes uh, by by moving our decision makers through uh, a process and an approach that really considers every part of the population. Um, we get to better results and and um, better outcomes, better decisions for everybody. It's that compassion has to follow through and has to be put into your communications, um, and you can't dumb it down. Uh, I, we've we make the we we have a misconception. There's a misconception in the world that people who don't make enough money or a lot of money aren't good with money. Um, that is that can't be further from the truth. Um, people who are low wage earners are probably the savviest financial consumers, but they lack access to a lot of benefits and, and strategies that others who frankly don't have those supply side problems um, have access to. And so I think the communications is putting things in people's hands of this is why we're offering this because it's important, because we feel, because we understand, because we hear where you're at. This is what it can potentially do. And it's got to be easy to buy, easy to sell, easy to execute and implement. Um, And those savvy customers are going to take it with both hands and say, "This this is meant for me. And it contributes to that brand and employer loyalty. Yeah, that resonates so much with our experience yeah. as as the lead marketer here. You know, we are engaging all the employees who are offered a patient card and they're really smart. Mm-hmm. And they they're asking, "Hey, why what's the catch? Why are you offering this to me? There's no interest, there's no fees, there's no credit check. How are you doing this? This is there is no free lunch. Where because is the catch?" Yeah. Because we care and because your employer is paying for you to have this. We mm-hmm. had to really sort of go behind the curtain and show them the mechanics of it so that they'll believe that it's possible that they could have, you know, a, a access to credit to pay for healthcare, to manage healthcare expenses over time without hidden fees, which is what almost everybody else in the industry does. And it, it's almost been, you know, we've had to take that, that need, you know, for, of, of employees very seriously that they need to understand the mechanics of how it all works so that they can be rest assured that this isn't going to come back and bite them. Um, especially those who are very vulnerable financially. Yeah. And those are the, and that's the part of the population that, that day over day feels and are taken advantage of. Um, and so you, you have to unring a couple bells within that, within that group through your communications and you can't lead them down the wrong path because then you just be yeah. like everybody else. Um, yeah, that's so right. That trust has to be the core, the center of, of how you communicate. 
And it's honestly been so challenged because it makes me think of, you know, the Biden administration a couple of weeks ago issued a warning to consumers not to use medical credit cards and installment loans offered to them at the provider's office. Hmm. And the reality is uh, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau put out a report that said that people have paid a billion dollars in deferred interest payments from these products from 2018 to 2020 alone. And I mean, patients been in business since 2018, and we have charged zero dollars in interest since then to consumers. And if we're not putting a solution in people's hands where they have a way to pay, this is what they're exposed to. And it comes offered to them by their provider, which is the most trusted person in this entire ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just think, you know, trust is really so important as you're saying, and it's being broken all over the place around this issue. So for employers to take a bold move and say, we're going to put something in your pocket in advance. So, you know, you have a way to pay and you're not going to make a crazy financial decision when you're at the desk in a hospital or an ER, which is not the time to be opening a credit card. No. Um, right. Like that, or a title that's loan cute. company, right. Walking down the street and signing over my car note. Those are the very difficult decisions and, and without access and without pre-planning, right? It has to be pre-event. That's right. Um, the, that, and the only way it can be pre-event is to stage it through that employer and make it part of your communication program. That's right. You know, we've talked about, you know, like buy now, pay later solutions. They're embedded at the point of sale. And we are not that because we are embedded before the sale. We're embedded in the benefits. And that's kind of the whole point. Interesting, your practice, Jeff, the, the way you frame it out. I used to think about it. There were two two thoughts that I would have going into meet with a new employer. One was, do they value their employees and do they see them as their number one asset? And number two is, do they feel that their relationship with those same employees is their strongest currency? And if they couldn't answer those two questions, to your point, empathetic leadership that is attuned to their population is, was crucial to, to, to do the job that you're supposed to do and your team at Hub is supposed to do. It's so much harder if you have an employer who doesn't care. Um, It reminds me of uh, uh, George Bush Sr. when he was running for president, uh, was asked at a press conference how much a gallon of milk was. And he didn't know. He had no clue. Um, And I forget what his answer was, but it, it proved that he was so disconnected from the the voters who are going to vote for him it didn't matter he still was elected um but it that disconnect sometimes is um offset when you're in the room and, and you're talking with decision makers about how some of the contribution increases are actually bags of groceries mm-hmm. it used to be 25 dollars as a bag of groceries i think nowadays it's probably 50 or 55 dollars in a bag of groceries but that that trade-off for people needs to be understood by the decision makers in the room. Yeah. Could not agree with you more. Jeff, so you've been really successful in your career, obviously, eight years at Hub and um, are one of the key leaders there. I'm curious if you can share as a takeaway, as we're kind of winding down our episode here, what's one leadership lesson that you can share with our listeners? Uh, so that's a great question. Some of the best advice I ever got was... Um, to not just simply ask the questions, but to make sure the answer to that question is fully heard. Um, And so if if I'm going to give advice, it's to embrace the awkward. Uh, Mm. Sometimes people uh, answer a question just to get rid of the question. 
Um, but when we're consulting, when we're talking with employers and groups and experts, you're going to find that there's certain answers that are soft, um, that they're just trying to defer, deflect. And our relationship as a consultant should be a trusted advisor. So um, we'll often say, hey, I sense that you didn't like where we were going there. Why? And then why again? And then why again? So you can get to the root cause and the motivation for that employer. I mean, they pay us not to, not to do everything we tell them. Uh, as a consultant, they pay us to tell them no, that they want to go down a path and we'll say, well, actually, that's fraught with errors and compliance risks and probably some, some costs that you're never going to uh, be able to unwind. Or once you ring that bell with your employees, you'll never be able to unring it. You can't take it away any, at any point later, whether it's a success or a failure. And so we, we dive into that awkwardness, and that's helped, I think, most every conversation I think I've ever been in, because it's in that awkward zone where I'm vulnerable, the client is vulnerable, or the prospect is vulnerable, and we're learning from each other there. You know, discomfort is where learning and growth happens. And so when you sense those awkward moments, don't run away from it, jump right into it, and almost be goofy about it. Hey, we're going to get really awkward because I'm sensing this, right? So let's go get awkward together. And by and large, more often than not, the client's happier that they went there, happier that you push them there and they get additional value from it. Your extension of vulnerability builds trust with the client right out of the gate. Yeah, I would imagine that's that's the thing. And that's where you're trying to get to, right? Because then you can partner with them and really do some work. If, if I knew everything that that client should do, I'd tell them right away, I'd email it to them, and, I, and I'd ask for a check. That's not the relationship. The relationship is I have to learn from them, right? They have to teach me. And, and I, I admit that I don't know it all. Uh, so I have to go down those paths of exploration and, those, and find those awkward moments for my own edification, but then also for that employer's edification. They don't know what they don't know either. And so we'll find out together. And, and I think that's, that's the fun part of the job. And that's, that's why it's ever changing. That's really cool. That's awesome. I hope you're mentoring other producers in your firm because I think the way you're looking at this is exactly the way it needs to be looked at to improve upon it. For sure. Thanks. Appreciate that. Absolutely. All right. Well, I'm sure we could sit here and talk all day, but we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks for joining us, Jeff. It's been great to have you here and we really appreciate the uh, the partnership and all the collaboration with Hub this year. Yeah, love your insights, Jeff, very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Greatly appreciate the time. Absolutely. Thank you. Take care. I'm Laura Cave and this has been The Patient Podcast. If you'd like to share feedback or contact us directly about this episode or any other, drop us a note at podcast at patient.com. That's podcast at P-A-Y-T-I-E-N-T dot com. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.